You are listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And we are here on this beautiful day with hummingbirds in the backyard. And I would like to begin by calling in the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine, to all of those in our ancestral lines who bring all that is good and true and beautiful as the legacy to each one of us who is here living in our own time. I call out to all of those who lived well and died well and who met the challenges of their day and their time and who have that experience to share with us that we might meet the challenges of our day and our time in a good way, in a better way, and in a way that is really exquisitely good for those who are coming. And I call out to these ancestors to gather around us here today in particular those in our bloodlines who go back far, far, far back in time, those people who were here in the changing of a world, who crossed over from the old world to the new world and became the people who were writing the new story for the people in the new world. And I call out to those ancestors to gather around us here today that we might better understand what it is that we have chosen in our life to do by choosing to be the people who are the living at this time. So I give deep, deep thanks, deep gratitude for these ancestors gathering around and for all of the spirit help that they bring, all that they brought as they walked on the earth. And with our mention here of the earth, let us turn our awareness from our heads down into our hearts and let our consciousness drop gently from our hearts into our bellies and from our bellies down onto the earth. And let us take a moment to give thanks to the spirits of the land, those that are temporal and changing where each one of us lives. And we give thanks to the great spirits of the land that tend the regions that we each come from. We give thanks to these spirits of the land. And we give thanks to the earth herself. We give thanks for the miracle of life and the wonder of what it is to be alive and to carry that spark of life in each of our bodies. We give thanks to the earth for all that has been that has brought us to this moment, for all that is and for all that will be. We give thanks to the earth for beauty, for the grace in this walk of life that allows us as humans to change and to even transform as long as we are breathing We have the ability to set things right. So we give thanks to the earth for the compassion and the great grace in her dreaming of life on the face of this planet. And we give great gratitude for being here to enjoy it with all other living things. So with our hearts offering our gratitude to the earth, let us extend our energy down, down through all the layers of the earth, sending our gratitude out as we go until we reach the very center of the earth and let us anchor ourselves firmly there, 
understanding that it is our responsibility to ground and be present in the world, not to ask the earth to do it for us. And so we anchor ourselves deeply in the earth. We give thanks and we draw the energy of the earth, drawing up into our day, drawing up into our bodies, drawing up into our proceedings here, this essential energy out of the earth that brings to us restoration, rejuvenation, and replenishment. This energy that brings to us all the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. So we call up the energy of the earth, let it bubble up just like a crystal clear spring of water rising to the surface of the earth for the very thirsty traveler. We call this energy of the earth up into our body, up through our legs, into our belly, from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind. And in this way, we ask the earth to help us to discover not only grounding, but a sense of place, the ability to take a stand, a sense of belonging, a sense of home and hearth and connection. And from that sense of connection, let us extend out from human connection out to a sense of connection and interconnection with all life all around us until we can extend out, drawing on the wisdom of the earth to that feeling of oneness, that connection with all things and know ourselves in that oneness, to take our place in that great web of life and to come into right relationship with ourself from here. And from that, then right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment, and right relationship with the spirit world. And as we come into balance and place and home in this way, let us send the energy up from our hearts to our heads and our heads out through the sky. Whatever weather the sky holds for you, whatever season you are in, we send our energy out through the sky, out through the atmosphere, out in the cosmos, and all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy, name it. See yourself reflected in it and it reflected in you, that you know yourself as part of this great energy. And then draw this energy down, drawing it down into yourself, into our proceedings here today, into your day. Draw this energy down through all the layers of the sky, drawing in all the wisdom of the cosmos, bringing into yourself the energy of blessing, the energy of devotion and generosity and benevolence, And the energy of protection, call this energy in, drawing it down through the cosmos, the atmosphere and the sky into the top of your head, from your head to your heart and your heart to your belly and send it all the way down to the center of the earth. And as you focus here in your body and give thanks for the energy of earth and sky within you, just take a moment and allow these energies to mix and merge and blend this great coming together of these two legendary lovers, the, the yin and the yang energies, the energy from which this experience of physical life as we know it has been born. And in that big love there in your body, call out to your heart and call the spirit of the heart to awaken and to open to this day. And let the heart become the mighty crucible that it is, this crucible that is able to hold the fiery passions of your belly that know why you are here. These passions, draw them up into the heart and draw down the clarity of the mind. Draw these energies into the heart and let them dance together until they give birth to that third and most essential thing. Your sense, your memory in your heart of why you are here. And may you find in that very same heart the courage that you need to do something in this day, large or small, 
to bring that true purpose into manifestation, to bring your gifts out to the world. So we give thanks to the hearts that are gathered. We give thanks to the helping spirits that have gathered around us here today. And we give thanks for the people that make this show possible. We give thanks to Malama and Lydia and Deborah and Maria and all the other listeners who have donated to the show financially because you all helped me to pay the bills and keep the show on the air. And we give great gratitude to those of you who are able to do that. And we give thanks to Co-Creator Network for its willingness to, to support us in keeping the show out in the world in a way that is affordable for all of us. So I thank you all for donating financially. And I also ask those of you who cannot to find some way to help the show to grow with your questions, with your show ideas, but more importantly, that's important, but more importantly, with how you take these ideas into your life, into your journey circles, into your journeys, and to experience them, to play with them, to challenge yourself with them, and to do some, something that allows you to bring these teachings into the world. And then... Give us some feedback and let us know how it goes. So I thank all of you. If your heart is moved in any way by our show here today, know that you've been moved in the heart. And this is the essence of shamanism, to allow your actions to be motivated by the energies of your heart. So let yourself be motivated in some way to help the show to grow. And for all that you give that allows me to continue to do the show, I am deeply grateful to all of you. If you don't know how to donate, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and click the donate button and donate any amount, large or small. It's entirely up to you. If you don't want to do it via the internet, you can send me an email. I'd be happy to send you a physical address. And I think that that's all of that for now. I also want to give thanks to the Society of Shamanic Practitioners for their ongoing support. And this next uh, interview with Betsy Bergstrom is the next interview in the Society of Shamanic Practitioners interview series. And those uh, interview series are archived also at the SSP website, which is shamansociety.org. And all of the shows from the very, very beginning, thanks to Ken's remastery of the earlier shows, are available in the archives at whyshamanismnow.com. So without further ado, I'd like to give thanks to our guest today, Betsy Bergstrom. Betsy, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Christina. It's wonderful to be back. So Betsy has um, three shows already in the archives about her excellent work with heart-centered depossession and protection and cultivating your greatest allies in life. So these shows are already there in the archives. And today, Betsy is joining us um, to continue this discussion that I've started earlier this year about evil, this idea that perhaps our our thinking that we understand evil is just a big old habit and that maybe there are other ways that we could understand evil that would be more fruitful for us and would help us as the people who are here at the dawn of this new world to write a new story for the people that might allow them to live in a very, very different way than the story that we've all come out of. Um, If you'd like to contact Betsy, you can contact her through the contact page on her website. And her website is ever so brilliantly, <laughs> BetsyBergstrom.com. You were very wise to do that, Betsy. <laughs> so, so it's B-E-T-S-Y, B-E-R-G-S-T-R-O-M, BetsyBergstrom.com. And the easiest way to contact Betsy is through her contact page on her website. Um, 
Oh, and I also want to remind everyone we're live this week. I forgot to tell you that earlier. Um, finally, after a month, we are live. If you have any questions about today's topic, you can call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Um, or you can just email me a question at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. All right. So... I was chatting with Betsy a little bit before the show and just talking about how um, on the show that I've been encouraging listeners to become conscious of how they think about evil and that we perhaps have automatic assumptions that there's some great battle between good and evil, which may or, or may not really be helpful for us. And that perhaps as the living, we should explore our ideas about evil and that there may be new ways um, to think about evil. And I suggested that perhaps this would be really exquisitely important for shamanic practitioners. Um, And Betsy and I, I actually started thinking about this with a show with Betsy back in 2009, actually, as we were speaking in this first interview with Betsy about her heart-centered depossession work. And I I made the rash comment um, about the old-fashioned approach to depossession was sort of like, my spiritual dick is bigger than yours, so get out of there. (laughs) Which is, number one, not very compassionate. And number two, it just kind of throws energy out. Well, and there, then what does it do? You know, it, it, it's kind of like not really picking up after yourself. It, it leaves the room messy, even if the, you know, client is cleaned out. So anyway, um, so maybe we should begin um, with just um, sharing your um, sort of where your the heart, essentially, of heart-centered depossession work. <laughs> um. That's a that's a wonderful place to begin, and and when we look at evil, I think one of the things that's important to realize is that when we even think about it or or look at it or discuss it as we're doing right now, we're all bringing our own historical relationships to the discussion and um, to the contemplation of it. And for a lot of us, that those historical places might have their origins in um, Judaic and Christian and Islamic ideas about evil being a primal force. And what exactly does that mean, a primal force? Well, sometimes it can mean that um, there's an original source of evil, you know, or or an equal and opposing kind of a source of evil, like there's God and then there's an equal and opposing um, dark force as well. And so if we think like that, then that's going to, I think, actually bring some fear and trepidation into our world and into our consciousness, into the way that we approach things. Not all systems actually look at it like that historically around the world. People see it really differently. And so I thought I'd like to start by talking about that. Would that be okay, Christina? Yeah. Just to kind of give an idea of other ways that people think about it. Um, and, and some of the ways that some people think about it is they don't want to believe that it even exists. Um, so that's one approach to it. Um, and I think that um, some parts of the world see that, that in the universe there are a variety of different forces, and some of those forces are, are compassionate and loving, and some of those forces can be cruel and destructive, even consciously cruel and destructive. And so... Uh, um, So Hinduism, for instance, might see evil as a natural part of the cosmic fabric. And 
and that we, um, as we accept it as kind of a natural part of things, we then have a, an opportunity to have our own relationship to it or our own way of um, of referencing it or being with it so that we have choices with it. And um, Buddhism, for instance, uh, might see evil as more of an aspect of human ignorance um, that potentially could be transcended through a more enlightened kind of consciousness. And other systems at different times in the world have really looked at evil as part of polarity, that there's um, that there's uh, good or forces for good, and there are forces that are darker forces, and that the whole... Um, the whole system is really more about balance, never about fully eradicating um, evil or even the necessity in eradicating evil, but about living the way where balance is held. And then I think that in some occult and mystical teachings is understanding that evil could exist as an active kind of force that has its own intelligence, um, but that it's something that can be really countered by very purposeful love and very purposeful light. And so for those of you listening, you might look at where do you connect with? Do you feel like you have a relationship to any of those ways of kind of viewing evil? So what do you think, Christina? (laughs) Well, one of the ideas that we've been um, sharing on the show is more almost approaching it from a psychological perspective, not, not a therapeutic psychological perspective, but understanding how indigenous shamanic people thought about it, because the more we talk about it, the more they keep sharing a similar idea. So it's kind of like a pre-religious idea, Mm -hmm. which was that it's kind of like a bad idea virus. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's this, it's this possibility that's there that only really begins to take manifestation if we choose to give it life and it's like a bad idea that that gets stuck in our head and and it starts thinking us and um and then we start expressing it in such a way that then sort of spreads the fear spreads the virus it's interesting idea that um Paul Levy brought up in this book, Dispel, uh, Watiko, Dispelling Evil. Watiko was a kind of a, a northern Great Lakes region, Native American word for it. And then Hank Wesselman chimed in, well, the Hawaiians call it Iipa. And then some, Paul just had a lecture, uh, lecture discussion with a um, Chinese uh, Practitioner. I don't really know whether the person was Taoist or Buddhist, but with a a Chinese name I can't even pronounce because it was in character. And so this is this other idea that's been coming out is this sort of complex idea. It's kind of it is here, but it isn't. You know that it's really about being able to understand our relationship with the invisible world and how we, through our awareness, our thoughts, and our choices, are making things manifest or not. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a, it's a diff- it's a, it's yet another way of thinking about evil, um, but a very shamanic way because it, it, it um, kind of stays out of this either this or that idea and brings us back into relationship with it as an invisible energy. But I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I mean, I think think that, um, that 
as I said, one of the things that's important for each of us is to look at where do we where do we feel an essential truth about it. Um, and so the languaging, I think, is really important um, because I think language really speaks to us, and language can really mean things as well. And I, you know, one of the things that people often talk about when they reference having felt that they've experienced evil is they often talk about the atmospheric kind of quality to it. And um, so that's something that uh, atmosphere, I think, sometimes can be felt by us or perceived by us in sort of the invisible ways or the unseen ways. And um, and so we can be aware that there's something different that's going on, something that we're experiencing that's felt through maybe one of our um, uh, other senses, you know, one of our six senses, if you want to talk about it like that. And so... Uh, I, and I think that idea of a virus is really an interesting idea. Um, one of the things that I think can happen, um, and I look at things, you know, not so much psychologically, but I would say I look at things from an energetic standpoint. And, and so from an energy standpoint, you know, what we put our attention to, we put our resonance to, we put our light to, we put our life force to. And so we can empower things or we can in some ways kind of pull the power from them as well. Um but that, that's usually where I personally sort of end up because I'm just kind of an energetically practical person. <laughs> and I find that a lot of complex belief systems give me a whole lot of time to get lost reading on the Internet. But in the end of the day, it doesn't affect my life. That what's affecting my life is my ability to be present with the energies here and interpret them with some discernment and, and make a choice. And I, I guess what also what I'm saying is so often – a client sitting across from me says, you know, three, four, five things converged into them having a particularly bad day that brought their defenses, their energy, their good spirit, you know, their lightheartedness, their ability to laugh at things down to such a degree that this other energy kind of came into, into relationship with them. And I think about that a lot, that, that this, this, this ends up sometimes being in some ways the most practical point is regardless of where it came from, what ends up mattering at the end of the day is how do we come into relationship with it? And if we don't like that relationship, how do we change it? <laughs> if you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I do know what you mean. And I think that, you know, having for one of the things that I always love to share with my students and my clients is, that we all of us have our our own particular kinds of sixth sense that can let us know what's going on around the you know that gives us the early warning of of what might be happening or or early indications of positive things that can be happening too. We feel it through. Um, we have a knowing about it. We feel it through our senses, um, etc. And so with evil, I think when we feel ourselves kind of going down, you know, or, or matching a resonance with something that's very heavy or maybe kind of destructive sort of feeling, um, that we uh, want to catch it obviously as quickly as we can, and just to realize, as you're saying, that um, that. We live in a, a world where our bodies are very magnetic and very responsive to the energies that go on around us. And so if we have a number of things, as you say, that can happen to us that start bringing us down uh, and our vibration rate, if you want to talk about it that way, goes down and we become resonant with something that could approach us like a, some kind of an energy or a being that's got a lower register negative kind of energy like that, um, then we get 
it's almost as though we're getting swept in a current or pulled into a pool of energy that um, then becomes more difficult for us to uh, exit from in some ways. And so when we realize that, I think that one of the ways that we can exit the most easily and the most ably is to um, really do um, many of the things that you did in the beautiful invocation you did at the beginning of this talk, um, really grounding ourselves, really connecting with our heart again. Um, and we can call on the different allies that I think um, we all know that we have, um, the allies of love, the angelic beings, the people, that, the beings that really support us so beautifully and so strongly. And also we can call on these immense fields of blessing, these energy fields of, of great light and great resonance to um, to begin to... Um, choose that. It's as though we're reaching through the fog towards something that's brighter and more radiant and more luminous and resonant with love, and that begins to start to shift us out of those um, those kinds of energy fields. I think. And this this is the piece that I I it's really important because at the end of the day, it, it, it does boil down to our choice our choice to reach for something else our choice to use our practices, our choice to use our skills, whether it's um, connecting with these energies, whether it's, you know, mantras and chanting, you know, that, that, that humanity has uh, many, many beautiful gifts for humans to use to shift, but we, we have to choose. And so, you know, that's, that's one piece. The, the other piece that I find challenging, though, when we talk about this in a shamanic context is that oneness is a really important common theme in shamanic cosmologies. And it's not oneness. Yes, but <laughs> you know, exactly. it's, it's, it's oneness. <laughs> and if it's oneness, then our path with this energy that we might call evil um, has to come out of this this root of oneness and this is a piece that i would encourage especially shamanic practitioners who don't necessarily grapple with this yet to grapple with it because this is this is you know to to come from a shamanic place is to come from this understanding of oneness um and and this this complementary dualism versus this antagonistic sense of a dualistic thinking and this was what um you know, what I really saw in your sense of what it means to do depossession work from a heart-centered place. Well, um, and as if you recall, um, in our, in some conversations that we've had, when I first began the depossession work, I had my own healthy dose of fear, you know, going on with what, who are the kinds of beings that I'm going to meet in this setting. Um, you know, the possessing spirits, for instance, often are human, but increasingly what I find with my clients is they're not human. They're all different other kinds of beings. Well, from the shamanic context, I have a lot of room for that, for there being different kinds of spirits and beings that live in the middle world that could then become connected with people and possessing them. And then, of course, the, you know, the place where um, practitioners, myself included, have probably the most nervousness is when we encounter beings that um, will let us know right off the bat that they're demonic or some other sort of dark force being like that. 
And one of the things that I observed in the presence of those beings is just to say those words sometimes is to lower my, my vibration immediately. Do you know what I mean? It's like my fear response starts really coming up. And I think that all of us have to sometimes contend with that in the beginning, you know, when we're, when we're really approaching doing the work of, of shamanic depossession or other forms of depossession. Um, and and one of the things that became the most powerful for me in the heart-centered depossession work that I do was the realization that I've never yet, in all the probably more than 1,000 cases of depossession um, work that I've worked with, ever found a being that didn't have the light of the source or the light of God or the light of the oneness within them. And I, which immediately um, began to dispel for me that idea of this dualistic universe, that there's a them and us. And so it really did highlight for me that sense of oneness. Not like I felt like I was kindred with them, you know what I mean? Because my body mm-hmm. would have a revulsion towards some of these beings sometimes. Or I would just feel like sometimes the beings that I'm encountering are just so very alien. Um, or they've, they've created immense suffering for people, which is really difficult to know. Um, yet, um, what my, my compassionate allies, my helping spirits, the angelic beings and the psychopomp beings that I work with would show me time after time was that no matter whom I encountered, um, these beings had that light, that, that radiance, that light of the source within them, which really began to show me this is what the oneness is really all about. There, we are, we really are all one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so so even if there was an or orig- I mean the way I think about it is even if there was an originating evil, it still came out of the origin, <laughs> and the origin exactly. is one, you know. And so all of it at its essence has that energy. But like you said, it's not like we want to invite them to dinner. <laughs> no, we, we don't want to invite them to dinner, and um, and also it's uh, <clears throat> I think there are some great lessons of. Um, I don't know. I think one of the ways that my students and I will reference it is as a kind of a compassionate neutrality, you know, where it's like we're we're willing to sit in the room with anybody, um, you know, any kind of being, anyone that um, that uh, recognizing that the presence of these beings, particularly in a um, a depossession setting. Um, is that these are beings who actually really want help and they really want to be seen. You know, they they want to be known and they want to have that opportunity for us to sit in the oneness with them. That is really a vast part of the experience and a vast part of the healing for everyone. And 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 with that, I often have these moments of, wow, I am so glad I didn't have your job. That's a hard <laughs> job. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's really hard to have that job of causing enormous suffering for beings and life on yeah. the planet. And I just think, wow, I am so glad I didn't draw that straw, you know, <laughs> and, it, you know, and here, you know, let, let, let me help you in the great cycling of the universe. Cause you know, maybe next time you get to pick to be a daisy and that's kind of cool. You know I mean? You can cycle mm-hmm. around and, and transform and become something else and you don't have to be this forever. It's a hard job. Those, 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 that, those demons are hard. It's a hard job to have. Um, mm. um, so um, go ahead. I was just going to say that um, one of the things that I find really powerful about some of the stories of the, you know, the darker beings that I've encountered is that um, not only 
not only do they have whatever their origins are, you know, not only do they have the life path that they have, but very often they have to deal with the projections of other people mm-hmm. and beings, and that those projections actually intensify their strengths. And um, yeah. so, in the you know, so sitting with them and being able to see through all of those projections and just to realize, you know, what you're just like me. You have the light of the creator, just like me. Um, it, it is very, you know, it is a very powerful mirroring experience. I mean, one of the things that I found in the presence of beings like that is all my prejudices come up. You know, all those parts of me that have their own fears and their own understandings, you know, or their own beliefs about, you know, what's right, what's wrong, um, uh, about people who are perpetrators, you know, etc. All of that really comes up in these kinds of sessions. And I feel that the grace of that is for me to be able to see where my own shadow material is that keeps me from the oneness as well. Yeah, yeah. And Paul talked about that a lot in his book about Watiko, how that's, that's, that's what the dynamic is about in a sense. I mean, not to, not to diminish it, but, but that the only way we begin to make any progress for life as a whole is to be willing to look at ourselves. What, what, what do we see in ourselves in this reflection? Um, and and so in your teachings, not- you're teaching people to do that. I understand. I'm teaching people to do that, and and also um, I feel as though because of the way that the depossession work happens in my practice, where it's often in a dialogue process with the client, that there's actually a three-way healing that happens. You know, it's like I always learn something myself, and and I feel as though the client has an opportunity, you know, to be strengthened in the knowledge of the oneness. Um, you know, as that, as the oneness of that possessing spirit of the light, you know, that's when the possessing spirit starts to become radiant and they really move into a truer expression of who they are, whatever they are, um, then that, you know, it's, it's quite amazing. It just feels as though we're bringing a healing not only to the client who came in, maybe with a possession kind of situation going on, but we're helping the being as well who was possessing them and maybe thought that was their only option or um, the only source of whatever they were looking for, life force or a place to be, etc. But also I feel as though each time that we are willing to look deeply into something and see into the heart of it, that we're actually improving, um, improving things for everyone, for all beings. You know, so that... Yeah. That, that willingness to see the one, you know, one being as part of the one, as part of the all, as part of the unity actually increases the ability of the whole, everyone to be able to be aware of that unity. So we're ratcheting things in that direction rather than letting them go down the drain, so to speak. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, and to, a, a to, darker perspective. Yeah, to contribute to that field and versus the other. So I wanted to go back to something you were saying about projection because it, it made me think of another um, comment in our in our one of the other interviews. But it was basically you, you started talking about things that sort of get judged kind of automatically as being evil or demonic. And but as you as you do the work with them, you start to realize, well, it's you know, like it's really just a, a dead person who doesn't know where they are, you know. And are are there other energies that you can think of, you know, that you like somewhat regularly encounter that might be getting heaped with this judgment as being evil or demonic or, you know, some of those really heavy words when really it's our misunderstanding of 
other energies that are out there that are really just looking for help? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I would say that um, what really springs to mind when you ask that question are the beings who I think were um, here before humanity was on the planet, you know, that are beings that are spoken about in the, the folk tales and the cultural tales um, that are written about on, you know, or, or told in oral stories on every continent, you know, so sometimes these really powerful beings that are um, seem to be demonic might have had their origins as a more like a giant person or some kind of a powerful elemental being. Somebody that, you know, in shamanism, we wouldn't have any difficulty recognizing if they were in their um, kind of pure form, so to speak. Um, but many of those beings, I think, were seen by humans to be to be frightening and and. So a lot began to be projected on them from, you know, from the er- their earliest connections with humankind. And and who knows, you know, perhaps some of those beings were very much competing for land or space or whatever with human beings. And so, you know, there's this fallout or this demonization could be the, um, the, the, kind, the kind of typical fallout that happens when there's a winner and a loser. And so... I've met some astonishing beings who really had nothing of the satanic, so to speak, about them, but who had had such projection put on them that they were demonic beings or demonic forces that I would say they were more like daimons or the, you know, the um, the spirits of different places, for instance, rather than somebody who was even, you know, probably a, a kind of spirit that in the first place wouldn't even be interested in humans and maybe predated humans in the first place. Yeah. So those, you know, those are those have been powerful to meet those types of beings and to, you know, to know um, and to experience through um, helping them to be released of the projections and to help release them from um, their habitation with a client. It's also releasing them to a truer part of their own nature. You know, to really help them. Uh, you know, it's sort of like the. Um, their interactions in those cases are spirit beings who have not necessarily had a very happy experience of being around humans, and they're often very happy to go to places um, that are going to be um, humanity-free and where they literally can be themselves again. Yeah. That, yeah. that power of projection, you know, obviously the power of projection from human to human can be very powerful, but it can be equally powerful from, you know, human to these um, different Spirits. And so when my students encounter, you know, a possession that's, you know, where the possessing spirit says I'm a demon, I, I always encourage them to be very, you know, careful about not seeing it as satanic, demonic, but just sort of going, yeah, that's what, maybe the being doesn't know any other way to call itself, or maybe mm-hmm. that's what it's been told for a very long time, but let's wait and see. We don't really know. Yeah. Well, especially if they're communicating with us in English, because English hardly has any words at all to use to have these conversations, you know. So everything gets lumped into demon, because we don't have any other words. Um, Well, and one of the beautiful things about all of the, um, the, you know, the the technology or the understanding of fields, you know, the field and morphogenetic fields is that, you know, that um, the fields um, are so intelligent that that they'll they work with us in mediumistic ways, and so like any other medium or most mediums, we are, can only be a medium through our own filters. And so, you know, so a being that we encounter is likely going to be um, referencing itself in English because 
our interaction or our communication with it is happening through us. It's happening through our own consciousness. So one of the things I encourage my students and, and my practitioners, you know, who do the work um, to to look at is that what we're really experiencing is consciousness to consciousness communication. And, you know, with that kind of conscious, you know, with consciousness um, and consciousness taken to its most expansive level when the heart is involved and when we hold ourselves in, you know, a higher field of resonance with a real willingness to communicate and to explore who are you, you know, what are your needs, what, you know, um, not just what have you been doing, but it's interesting to know that too, but um, what were you originally, you know, what do you remember, you know, and, and sometimes just to sit in, in the willingness to be in that space with being, um, is to allow their own inner sense of self, their own true self, if you will, their own authentic self to really um, become established. And, and what that does in compassionate depossession is it does the work for you. You know, and but I also encourage my students to do the same thing if they're on the bus or if they're in a traffic or they're sitting in an airplane. It's just like recognize that the person sitting beside you is a luminous being, the person to, you know, in front of you, behind you is a luminous being, and that as we begin to choose to perceive people that way, that's what happens around us is the people, you know, whatever kind of people they are, their inner luminosity starts to shine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a choice that I really think can be a valuable choice. Yeah, that that reminds me of a question I was going to ask you. Um, so, what do you do if you like run into you know back to something we would really consider demonic or evil, like at the grocery store? You know, it's one thing in your office when you, the structure's there to function with that energy, but what happens when it's a chance encounter? I. Um Several things. I mean, I would do. You know, I, I'm a believer that um, that inviting my luminosity and my inner radiance to be present is the most powerful protection that I have. And so that would be my first thing: is just to kind of like open up rather than shut down. And our natural inclination in you know meeting something in the grocery store or somebody you know really like that a demon would be to shut down. But the other thing is for me to from a very level and very um, I don't know how to describe it other than just a very uh, authentic place. It's just to to look into that being and just let them know, I see you, you know, I really see you. And and I'm not threatening them at all. You know, it's just letting uh, it's just letting them be known that they're seen, that I see that I see what's going on. And just simply to be seen is actually um, it, it, not adversarial. It's not aggressive. It's um, it often means that because of um, my being, my willingness to see, I'm the one who's setting the tone for how the encounter will unfold. That makes sense. You yeah. Know, so I'm not yeah. letting myself be flung into um, like panic or protection or even um, because what that does is it just strengthens the um, the potency of whatever kind of being it is. You know, it's sort of you you've already dropped your resonance if you do that and. And you're, you've already conceded ground, if you will. And so I'm not, I'm, I have no idea how powerful beings can be. So I'm never going to go toe to toe with anybody. Um, instead, it's just to see them. It's just to see them and to acknowledge it and to acknowledge who and whatever they are. And, um, and usually that will just completely diffuse whatever might have been escalating at that point in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because as you said earlier, 
um, we can we do sense things in the environment, you know, and so we can notice things like that in the vegetable aisle potentially. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think that our, our um, you know part of our survival kit is to have that you know that feeling of like the zing that goes up the spine or your or your skin starts to kind of crawl. You just kind of feel something like I need to look around and see what's going on. Um, you know, whether it's a being or somebody who's not very safe, you know, a human being is not very safe. I mean, those are our survival skills. And so, but, you know, whether it's a, you know, it's a true demon in the vegetable aisle or if it's a person who's, um, you know, could be a not safe person to be around, um, that, that uh, stepping into one's radiance. It's like in, in Tibetan Buddhism, it's like the, um, the person who becomes like a rainbow you know, in other words, you don't disappear, you become even more radiant and more luminous, mm-hmm. but because you're a rainbow, nothing can harm you, nothing can hook you. Yeah. And so um, it's that, it's stepping into that kind of radiance, I think is the best protection. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so back to something you said earlier, uh, just about in the beginning, how you began, you know, one of the first lessons that you learned about sort of quote-unquote evil was just about this luminosity in the heart of everything Mm -hmm. um would there be other things like i mean that's that's a huge that in and of itself is huge so but in addition are there other things over the years because you've been doing this work and teaching this work so you know i'm thinking so who do i know who's got the highest you know encounter rate (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with this type of energy. Well, it's probably Betsy, you know, because you're you're not only having your, your practice, but you're also teaching. And so, you know, your encounter with these types of energies is, is you know, way more high, way higher statistically than a normal person wandering around, you know. So, so, so my sense of that, though, is, is you must have learned a great deal from that, really, uh, and that your own sense of what evil is would would have changed over these decades really you know and so one would be this luminosity but are there other kind of important things like that that have shifted through through working with these energies well i think that i have a really lively curiosity about who who inhabits the universe with me and you know that that curiosity dates back to my grandmother um you know, I was just saying her prayer from ghoulies and ghosties, long-legged beasties and things that go bump in the night, may the good Lord preserve you. And then she'd say, just because you can't see them doesn't mean they can't see you. And that really, as a child, sparked for me this incredible curiosity of who else is in the world? You know, we see them, we can't see them. Um, and also, who am I not willing to see um, that is around me? And so I think that it's not only the luminosity, it's the willingness to see, the willingness to know. And um, and the willingness to learn, you know, just a, um, just incredible curiosity. That's what I really encourage my students to have is to know that that curiosity is something that curiosity, um, along with a radiance and luminosity and along with a willingness to just stand your ground without any aggression, um, will serve everybody in great stead, I believe. Well, and I, I just want to remind people that a willingness to learn requires that you really dial down your belief that you already know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there's really, we, 
I think we underestimate the degree to which as contemporary people, we've given everything a name. And so we think we know what it is. And, you know, back in, in older times, there weren't so many names for things. Things were more shape-shifty. And, and so that curiosity about, well, what is this really? I, I think in some sense was easier. Um, and so that's an important thing to remember. You really have to damp down that contemporary knowing we know what everything is. If you really want to learn and learn things, you know, like Betsy said, I have the same experience. I learned things I had no idea about or thought I even knew about in every session with a client. doesn't matter what happens in the session. I learned something I didn't know because it's so big out there. And, you know, yeah. And most of us have been practicing for one generation. I mean, you have the benefit of the wisdom of a generation before you, but many of us don't. I mean, we don't know anything yet. (laughs) You know, know, it's just, we're just learning so much of this again. And so the more... Go ahead. I was just going to say that um, I think that one of the things that happens is that we have so few categories for what, um, what things can be. We've had limited categories for what things can be, and as we expand our categories, like oh well, you know, I think, you know, in the category, for instance, just in the category of demon, I've met so many beings that had nothing; they have nothing to do even with each other, really, you know. Um, but they've been lumped into a particular category, and if we take that category completely away, um, then there's just so you know, there's so much variety that's there, and I don't mean that in a scary way at all. It's actually amazing. I mean, this is such an amazing universe that we live in. And um, one of the things that I think is increasingly, you know, it's creeping to the choir for shaman people to realize that, wow, we're cohabiting the universe with a lot of beings, a lot of whom mm-hmm. we can't see. Um, but there are places where the portals are thin, the veils are thin. And so, you know, there's the opportunity to meet with all different kinds of beings who are living in overlapping realities as well. And so then it gets really interesting, you know. So that's, I mean, that just oh, it has really kept me going in this work of, you know, not only do I want to help my clients, but um, but I'm, my own curiosity is just always engaged by um, by who's out there and what, you know, what do they need? What do they want? Where, you know, where, what do you love? You know, it's sort of, um, and one of the things that I find by taking people and taking beings out of a particular category and just meeting them where they are is they start revealing things to you that are so amazing. You know, it's like some of these beings haven't had anybody to share anything in a really long time. They've just been seen in a particular way. And so you realize, oh my God, you know, it's just like this very isolated being. And what, you know, one of the things that the field teaches us is that excluded beings are the ones where the traumas are, you know, in family systems or other kinds of systems. And so when we um, label somebody as something and exclude them from being okay, um, then it, it doesn't make for anybody, you know, it makes for their own unhappiness and for their acting out often or for them going down a, a, an increasingly darker path, if you will. So as we stop those categories, I think we realize, oh, you know, if I take each being at um, face value, and I don't even know what their face is, you know, I don't really see them. So, you know, so so the being has to tell me something about themselves, and they will, they do. They are actually often very engaged, you know, in a conversation and very interested that somebody's actually willing to speak with them. Yeah, yeah, and and listen, <laughs> um, and and I'm wondering as you're as you're talking, I'm wondering about something I've been thinking about lately as well. Is you know, 
20 whatever years ago, it used to be there was just the spirit world in us and you just journeyed with everyone. And now the language is starting to shift to, you know, compassionate spirits and, and the implication being and then the not compassionate spirits. But I'm also just wondering how much is really just in this sort of neutral place, like you were talking about this place of just it's not one or the other. It's just we're, we're coexisting with these beings that, that maybe would rather not have to deal with us. And that it's not about that they're compassionate or not compassionate. They're just who they are. And <laughs> they'd rather not have to deal with us or something. I don't know. I'm wondering about this. Maybe there's a neutral place where we just need to, to coexist. Um, I think I you're really on to something there because one of the things that I find is that with some of these beings, if, if, for instance, the practitioner, myself, or, you know, another practitioner gets frightened because you feel the power of this being or you see something about them, um, then, you know, then when we get frightened, often we either throw up a shield or sometimes we get a little aggressive or, um, and, and, or, you know, or even we're just simply projecting. If, it, if you feel like this, if you're scary, you must be that. Well, then they become that. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And they mm-hmm. didn't have to. If we'd actually approached them with neutrality, we would have had a really different experience of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I find in the ancestral work, this really part of where my curiosity is a lot lately as it unfolds is that back in that time that you were talking about where there were, you know, humans were sort of just here. So there were a lot of other beings here, a lot of other energies. And, and there were, there were some, some powerful understanding of about how to work in at that interface. And some people really, some humans really abused that interface and it, and it brought certain energies into contact with human free will that weren't supposed to ever go together. (laughs) And it created this third thing that's really problematic now. And that, so for me, that's one thing I've been finding in the ancestral healing is going back in time to this ancestor who believed they would be the person who was so whatever that they could do this thing that everybody else said they shouldn't do. It's like, well, no, you shouldn't have done it either. (laughs) There were, there was a reason we respected those beings over there and let them be who they were. And we dealt with our human issues over here and, and that those energies weren't meant to collide in that way. Well, and I think sometimes we reach for those powerful beings for their power too. You know, that, um, whether they were shamans or alchemists or whomever that really wanted um, their workings to be made more powerful, that, you know, that those are the, when you talk about abuse with those kinds of beings, those are the kinds of abuses. And so often when I find somebody who's a powerful, magical being who's created a lot of havoc, you know, oftentimes I'll find they were somebody, you know, some being who was loaded with power, who often was basically abducted and sort of forced to work in a particular way and is hostile and pissed off as a result of it, you know. And so a lot of times the work that I experience with those particular types of very phenomenal, I mean, those beings I've had more phenomenal experiences with than others, and um, but with, with those beings, it's, it, it's an unbelievable healing to help divest them of the bindings that have held them connected to humanity that they haven't really been able to free themselves from. Yeah. So, you know, and that is really a win-win. It's just to have them not be, you know, in turn abusing, you know, having been abused and now become an abuser back in a very mm-hmm. magical way. So, yeah, and I, I think that... Yeah. 
Yeah, I also feel like that repairs this place in the universe that being was meant to fit. And now that place has been sort of empty because that being couldn't do its thing, whatever its thing was. Oh, that's a really beautiful point. Absolutely. Um, So it's a big repair of a very multidimensional tapestry, I think, when we can stop um, categorizing things so narrowly. And like you said, just, just... talk and try to understand and listen and and find out you know where i think of it as where where would this being go where their very presence and and true nature supports life and and am i able to help that being get there um yeah i mean to really serve life in its fullest sense understanding my little human brain may never quite be able to grasp all of it, that it's just, it's big. It's, it's way bigger than I was ever led to believe as a child. <laughs> um, and I think an added um, benefit to beyond, uh, or as long as well as what you're talking about, is that when we start looking that way, as you're describing, we also begin to find our actual place in the interconnecting tapestry and that we're not at the top of the pyramid. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not yeah. a pyramid. And it's a tapestry and we have a place in it, but other beings have their place in it too. And there's a comfort in finding our place. You know, there's a comfort of, you know, and there's a magic that happens when everybody's in their place, as you're describing. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and an ease. I mean, that's something we humans, you know, miss so often is things could be a little easier. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. So, so Betsy, I, I'm going to circle back around to you were talking about, um, well, we were talking about the grocery store idea and just what you would do um, as a sense of, you know, if you were encounter evil at the vegetable aisle, the, um, the steps that you would take. And I was wondering kind of as an extension of that, just in our last few minutes, do you find that people that, that experience a depossession, so all is well and good with the presences that were with them, does the person have to learn to be different? I mean, are they so patterned around that old energy that they need to think about how to be different in the world? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, as many um, practitioners will find that actually clearing, helping a being to clear from a person is in some ways the easy part of the healing, um, that that a, that a person can then become saturated with the mind, consciousness of the emotions or the energy field of, of the possessing spirit. And so it can be a kind of a sloughing off that needs to happen and a, and a reaching for something that's more positive, but also a reaching for... Um, for you know, for themselves, reaching for getting a chance to have the opportunity to know their own authenticity, authenticity, the the true sense of who they are, and so it's reaching for the good. It's reaching for what brings life to them, um, and getting a chance to know themselves as a different person. You know, uh, uh, when you've been overshadowed by something, you don't always know who you are, or what your choices would be, and so. Um, so it can take a it can take time and it can be uh, an interesting process of recognizing in your life just how overshadowed you were and now how um, delightful it can be to make choices from a completely different place for yourself. So great. Yeah, and the, and that and that now you do need to make choices. <laughs> now that you can, yes. you need to, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you do need to, and. Um, 
and that the you know and that it's a progression that you know it's almost as though you're coming out of the cloud and so the first choices you make not may not be huge and um life changing for yourself but then you know but then it builds and it builds and you're sort of um bridging your way out of that dark cloud um the swords of the cloud may be gone um but you might have become habituated to it and so yeah it's just like the being able to build new neural pathways and more joyful neural pathways in many cases Oh, yeah, yeah that's effort is needed. Well, Betsy, thank you so much for being with us here today. Oh, Christina, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me back. It's always wonderful to have these talks, and it always um, leaves me something to think about for a long time. So thank you very much. And I'm also really, really grateful, Betsy, for your work in the world. I think it's been a huge um, a benefit to those of us learning these practices in our contemporary time. So thank you for your work as well. And I want to make sure everyone heard something Betsy said, which is she's now training practitioners to teach the deep, the heart-centered deposition work. Is that right, Betsy? That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so for, for information about all of this, you can go to Betsy's site, which is BetsyBergstrom.com. And you, if you want to ask her a question, you can connect with her through the contact page there on the site. All right. So thank you, Betsy. Um, Thanks to your ancestors for dreaming of a better future so you could be here with us. (laughs) So I want to give thanks to all the ancestors that have joined us here today, to the earth below, the sky above, and the heart energy that connects us all. Thank you, everyone. Um, Find your luminosity um, each day as your Mm -hmm. challenge from this show and um, see how that one act can transform your week. Thank you, everyone. Have fun this week.